Well, good morning. It's almost Christmas time. What a wonderful, wonderful season, amen? And we are blessed to be able to be here today. I want to talk today out of Luke chapter 2, a very familiar Christmas story. But I want to share it with you maybe in a little different way. And I've just entitled it, The Day God Became a Baby. I've been here for 27 Christmases, and you kind of exhaust all the material, don't you? Uh, but today, as we think about this, I thought think about a, a class, the sixth grade class of students. They were going to put on a Christmas party, and their teacher said, well, you know the story, so just make it however you want to make it. So they did, and six girls decided they wanted to be Mary. So there were six Marys. There were two Josephs. There was one child that wanted to be the donkey. And then there was one child that wanted to be the doctor. So the little child that was acting as a doctor went behind the veil and got the doll and came out and presented it to the six Marys and said, You're blessed. It's a God. And I think about that, and, you know, there's a lot of great theology there. It's a God. He is a God. He is God. And today, as we read this story, I just want you to look at it afresh. But the point that I'm, I'm going to read the whole passage. But the one thing I want to really dwell on is the word pondered. So if you'd stand in honor of the reading of God's word, we'll start in verse 1 and go down through verse 20. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made known widely the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherd. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen 
as it was told them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this incredible story, this truth that we can place our hat upon and say, because of Christ's birth and because of his life, which was sinless, and because of his death, which was perfect, as a substitute for us, we can have a relationship with you. So, Lord, today I pray that you would help us to ponder the things that Mary pondered and to understand the depth of this story. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. I know you've heard the Christmas story all of your life, as I have, and we read the Christmas story every Christmas with our family when we're all together. But we're going to look at two topics today. The first thing we're going to look at is the miracles that Mary pondered. And the second, we're going to look at the message proclaimed. So let's look at the miracles that Mary pondered. Luke must have conducted an interview with Mary because he knew these intimate details. Now I know the Holy Spirit inspired him to write, Luke to write. But inspired to write, we have Luke writing to a Roman uh, hierarchy member and he writes to Theophilus and he tells him the, this, this important lesson as he reads this and he reads also Luke. Theophilus undoubtedly was a believer in Christ. But in verse number 19, it tells us these things. Mary kept these things in her heart. She pondered these things in her heart. Now, the word pondered is a very interesting story in the original language. And Aristotle often used that word. And it's sunbalasu, which means to inspect every minute detail and go over it and over it and over it and over it again. And maybe you've done that with certain things in your life. You have, you have reevaluated them. You have evaluated them and reevaluated them and reevaluated them, thinking through it, trying to figure out every single little thing. Now, I want to talk about three miraculous journeys that took place this night that I'm certain that Mary pondered on over and over again. And you think about as they are arriving in Bethlehem, that difficulty of that arrival. Imagine they have to make this trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, they don't make it via automobile or Greyhound bus. They don't even make it by water. They make it on a donkey. Now, how many of you ladies have given birth? Just please raise your hand. Play along with me. A lot of you. How many of you men have given birth? I hope none. But you ladies who have given birth know how painful the process is, how uncomfortable you get toward that last trimester. And then imagine as you're toward that last few weeks and days, all you want to do is have that child out of your body because you are uncomfortable. Now place yourself on a donkey three to four days before you deliver that child and you have to make an 80-mile trip and a donkey through these rough terrain goes at about two miles per hour. So that would mean that you are on the back of that donkey for 40 hours. How many of you ladies can say, Ugh. Yeah. 
I mean, that would be treacherous, not only trying to keep that child inside of you, but also there were thieves and, 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 and there were murderers. They were robbers out there and they're making their way, not because they desired to, but because they are forced to. And I am sure she pondered that over and over and over and over and over again. And as they make their way to Bethlehem, and Luke is writing this story, and I can only imagine him shaking his head as he's interviewing Mary and, and all the details that she gives him and thinking, my goodness. Now, the reason he set this context like he does is because he wants us to understand that it's a historical and a political context. So it's not some once upon a time story, but this is the sto- a story of truth. It's a story of human travail. It's a story of God bringing Mary to the exact location that he, she had to be at to have the Christ child. So all of these details fit in. And I'm sure when Mary and Joseph heard, they had to go for a census. They were not too happy. I mean, giving birth is not easy normally, but under these conditions, it is much worse. And Caesar Augustus makes this decree that you have to go to your hometown and be registered. Now, I'm sure that Caesar Augustus felt like that he was in charge. And he was the first Augustus, or first one to be called Caesar Augustus. Because Augustus is a unique name, and it means that you are a god. And imagine that. He thinks he's a God, but the real God is coming in human form right under his very nose. And I can only imagine that trip. And I can only imagine Caesar Augustus thinking he controls all things. But you know what? The, the king's heart is in the hand of the master. And the master is the Lord God himself. And Mary and Joseph make their way to Bethlehem. The prophecy that had been given 700 years prior to this was given to Isaiah. And then in Micah 5, 2, we have these words, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come to me, one, to be the ruler of Israel, who's going forth, or from old, from everlasting. In other words... You will be born in Bethlehem. So Mary and Joseph had to make this incredible journey there, and they did so. Now, Augustus, think about him. He wanted to be a god, but God was becoming a man. What a contrast. Now, second thing I want to share with you. When they got there, there was no vacancy. Now, you think, well, surely there were a lot of inns. No, Bethlehem was such a isolated, remote town. It was so tiny, there was probably one inn. And when you think of an inn, you don't think of the Hampton. You think of pretty rough conditions. And that's what they are headed toward. And instead, the innkeeper says, well, I don't have any room, but there's not a barn because there wasn't wood in in the area for them to build barns. But there were caves And those caves were often occupied by shepherds. And they said, go to the cave and you can stay in the cave. So 
Here was Mary in the cave with the animals around, and she is going to give birth. What an uncomfortable position, not only to give birth in a cave, not only to go 80 miles on the back of a donkey for 40 hours, but also to be in these rough, remote conditions and then not even having a physician, a midwife, or anyone else to help deliver this child. There's Mary and Joseph. She is a young girl, probably 13, 14, at the oldest 15 years old. Can you imagine the fear that must have gripped her? And there she is. The firstborn comes in these humble conditions. But I want to secondly talk about the quiet arrival of God because I'm certain that Mary must have pondered that as well and and thought about, you know, this, the angel came to me and told me I was going to carry the Christ child and the angel came to Joseph and said, don't put her away. But here, now, and the, the Bible teaches us some incredible truths. The archangel is going to come. When Jesus comes again, the archangel is going to give a shout and the trumpet of the archangel will sound when Jesus comes a second time. But the first time, it was a quiet entrance. In silence of a starlit night, the Son of God is born to the Virgin Mary. And the first time that Jesus cried when he was born, that was the first time that humanity had heard God speak in human lips and spoke to us. This journey of 80 miles was nothing compared to the journey that God took from heaven all the way to earth, traveling through space and time to enter into Mary's womb and took on our likeness. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 8 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. You know, the reason that Jesus was born in these humble circumstances was for us. He didn't just come for the rich, the mighty. He didn't just come for those who consider themselves somebody. He came for us all. But a mile from where Jesus was born, the tallest hill in the area, that's where Herod the Great had his great Herodium. And that great Herodium was lit up There were 200 polished ivory marble stairs leading to these these, uh, towers and it showed the wealth and the grandeur of his creation because he was a a genius when it came to architectural uh, issues. And there was a swimming pool that was there at the Herodium and it was twice the size of Olympic pool. And all of that grandeur, shouldn't a king be born there? You would think that a king would be born there. I mean, Herod the Great was there. But that's not how God sent His Son to us. He sent His Son in a different way. Did God know what He was doing? Absolutely. I want to read what Ray Steadman says. Now you would think that if God so rules the world as, he used, as to use an empire-wide census to bring Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, He surely could have seen to it that a room was available in the end, right? I mean, he's God. And Jesus could have been born into a wealthy family. 
He could have turned stone into bread in the wilderness. He could have called 10,000 angels to his aid in Gethsemane. He could have come down from the cross and saved himself. The question is not what God could do, but what he was willing to do. God's will was that though Christ was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. The no vacancy sign of the motel in Bethlehem was for your sake. For your sake he became poor. God rules all things, even motel capacities, for the sake of his children. The Calvary road begins with a no vacancy sign in Bethlehem and ends with a spitting and scoffing and the cross in Jerusalem. That's what he came for. He came for us, where we're at. And you think about it, we're all bankrupt spiritually. Every single one of us are in need of help and hope. And God sent his son that we could experience eternal life. I'm sure that Mary pondered those things in her heart. And then thirdly, the surprise arrival of the shepherds. Now, when you think about shepherds, because the Bible speaks that Jesus is a good shepherd, we have a misconception that shepherds must have been, you know, pretty well revered. But that's not true. They were reviled. They weren't looked at as being able to come into the temple, being religiously clean, ceremonially clean. They were looked at as those that were out there that were nomads and they were no good. And they were not to be trusted. And it's the shepherds that the angels come to. It's the shepherds that are the first ones to tell the story. That tells me that God will use any of us. And He wants to use us. Regardless of where we're at. Regardless of what we've done. Regardless of where we have been. So Mary pondered the shepherds also. But the message that God proclaimed... wasn't just for the shepherds. It's for us as well. And the shepherds, they were the lowest people on the socioeconomic scale. I mean, they were despised. They had a bad reputation because they would kind of forget what's mine and what's thine when it came to their sheep because they'd all come together. They couldn't give a testimony in a Jewish court of law. They were outcast. But the angel came to these men, shepherds of sheep, who were going to hear the story of the baby in the manger. And think about it like this. They were shepherds of sheep. And John chapter 1 verse 29 says, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The great shepherd is also the Lamb. And he takes away our sins and gives us hope. The good news is for all of us, even outcasts like shepherds. Second, you don't have to be afraid, verse 10. You don't have to be afraid. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which is to all people. Aren't you glad it says that? You don't have to be afraid. I mean, there's so much to be fearful of in our world today. And unfortunately, fear consumes so many. Fear is one of the biggest problems we face today. I mean, we fear what Russia might do with nuclear weapons. 
we fear in our cities and our small towns. I watched on the news the other day as a man in New York City was hit in the back of the head walking down the street. I saw another person pushed in the subway in front of a train. Life was taken. I hear every day about the murders in Chicago, but also in Little Rock, the highest rate of murders, homicides ever. That's close to home. There's places you don't go. I remember telling one of my friends, we, Josh and I, it was his senior year, and we were going on a golf date for the week, and we had all these places set up, and we were playing it uh, with, with my father-in-law and John at the Air Force Base, and he drove back to Salem, and I told Josh, I said, now Josh, we're playing an expensive course tomorrow, and we're on a budget, so we're going to have to stay at a cheap place. He said, okay, Dad. So we pulled into the Master's Inn. When I came in the door, I knew that we had made a mistake because there was a couch there, and there were guys, they had a 12-pack of beer, and they were just sitting on the couch drinking beer. I thought, oh, this could be rough. But I went up, and he said, let's go, Dad, let's go. I said, no, let's, let's, let's check it out. I said, if the room's clean, we'll stay. We got up, the room was clean, so we did stay. Like $29. I came back, and Carol Folks was asking me, he said, well, where'd you stay in Little Rock? And I said, the master's in. He said, What? He said, there's a mugging or a killing there almost weekly. What were you thinking? I said, well, I was trying to be frugal. He said, well, you're being foolish. So, you don't have to be afraid. And luckily, we were dumb enough not to really be too afraid. But God says, don't be afraid. Now... Jesus also tells us, I have become like you so you can know me. Verse 11. There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, notice the language. In another translation, it said, A Savior has been born to you. That means each one of us, a Savior has been born for each one of us. This is God's way of letting us know that He has sent His Son directly for us, that we can have a personal relationship with Him. And then the angel calls Jesus Christ, which we know is Messiah. And he also calls Him Lord, which we know is Master. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh. And dwell among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He became one of us to reach us. I want to read what A.W. Tozer says. He says, If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was for the forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. 
He knew our greatest need and He provided for our greatest need through the sacrificial gift of His only begotten Son. I invite you to come and receive my gift, He tells us in verse 15. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. They were given God's invitation. The Lord has made this known to us. And they, those shepherds traveled to that town to see that baby. And I can only imagine what transpired when they did. And they told their story that the angels had come and, and, and shouted, Glory to God in the highest. And then I'm sure that Mary must have pondered in her heart as well the night the angel came to her. And I can only imagine Joseph also thinking, the angel came to me. This is incredible. What a blessing. What a gift. Imagine those rough shepherds. If Mary would have said this, would you like to hold my child, the Christ child? Can you imagine an outcast holding the very Son of God? What grace. What mercy. You see, not only the shepherds, but God invites us to receive Him into our lives. And lastly, once you meet me, you can't keep it a secret. There are no silent disciples. You have to share the good news. You can't keep quiet. Verse 18 said, Now when they had seen Him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. They wanted everyone to know So they began to share the story of the good news of Christ. I don't know if you've ever read Bret Hart's short story about the luck of Roaring Camp. Roaring Camp was uh, one of the roughest mining communities there were in the Old West. There were more murders, fights, all kinds of terrible things. It was occupied by terrible men with the exception of one woman and that one woman was Cherokee Sal. And Cherokee Sal was pregnant and was giving birth to a baby and she died in childbirth. So all you had was these rough miners there with this little baby. So they took the little baby and put it in this old rough box with rags. But when they looked at the baby, they said, we've got to do better than this. So they sent one of their men all the way to San Francisco to get a crib. And they brought the crib back and they put the baby in the crib, but they still had the rags and it still didn't look right. So they sent another man and he got silk and he brought it back and put it in the crib. And then they began to realize this little room that the baby was in was dirty and the windows couldn't be seen out of. So they began to clean the room and they began to wash the windows And then they realized it needed painting, so they began to paint this little room. And then they took the baby, and they looked at their hands, and their hands were so dirty that they knew they needed to clean up. And then they realized that they couldn't be drinking and fighting all night because it'd keep the baby awake. So this roaring camp became a deafening silence. And then they would take the baby and put the baby in front of the mine so they could come out and look at the little baby. And then they noticed how dirty it was around there, so they began to plant flowers. And then everything was cleaned up. The men were cleaned up. 
The area was cleaned up. It was beautiful. And you know what caused it? A baby. Because a baby makes all the difference. And God sent his son to make a difference. Has he made a difference in your life? If not, why not? And he will today, if you'll let him. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, I just simply pray that this Christmas, each of us would recognize the incredible gift that you have provided, and we would grasp it for all that we are worth, and we would tell that story, and we would share our faith, and we would love people. And I know, Father, you want to make a difference in our lives, that we can make a difference in the lives of others. So do a work through us for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Stand and come as you have needs.